What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Murph and the Mage. As we join Kyle Richardson for part two of our fantasy football preview. All right, so let's move over to uh, wide receiver a little bit, Kyle. You want to uh, go into depth on who you're liking this year? You know, me and Mage are real big into wide receiver two guys. Man, wide receiver is so deep this year. And I feel like we say that a lot of years, but it, I think it holds true this year. And it really, really, really will end up holding true. You know, I had mentioned already, you know, Kenny Galladay is a guy that I've got to have everywhere. I've got to have him as many places I can possibly get. Um, so I'm really excited about him. You know, DeAndre Hopkins is a guy that I'm passing on right now. I just, you know, I, I feel a little bit of a concern that we're going to see an OBJ and Baker Mayfield 2019 situation with him and Kyler Murray, where it just takes a little bit of time. And sometimes you see that with wide receivers when they go somewhere via trade or free agency, just takes a little bit of time to get going. I've seen a lot of the opposite. Are you are you really seeing a lot of people that are sharing your similar opinion on that? For DeAndre Hopkins? Yeah. I've seen a lot of people wanting to buy him. They think like Kyler Murray is going to have a breakout year. I think I'm one of the lower people. I've got him as my wide receiver seven right now for this year. So I definitely think I'm a little bit lower on him than, uh, than most other people. Murph, does that qualify for a hot take? Oh, it might. <laughs> With that being said, where do you have Christian Kirk, just out of curiosity? Oh, boy, Christian Kirk. Some of those guys that are a little bit further down, um, I haven't, like, set them in stone yet. I kind of wait for, for some of those later ranks. Right now, I've got them kind of in that, that low 30s area, or high 30s. I've got them, like, 31, 32, 33-ish. That's about right. Yeah, it's just, you know, w- with Christian Kirk, you know, and that's another reason too why I've got DeAndre Hopkins a little bit lower. DeAndre Hopkins has always been the guy. Like he's always gotten the volume. He's always been looked at as the main number one target. And will he be that this year? Probably. But you've got a future Hall of Famer and Larry Fitzgerald that's still there. You've got Christian Kirk. You've got Kenyon Drake out of the backfield. So there's still a lot of targets to go around. That offensive line is not going to be good. So Murray's going to have to, you know, get throws out pretty quickly. He's going to have to move around a little bit. You know, that can kind of mess with some of those dynamics. And still with it being said, you know, with all this COVID-19 stuff going on, some of these guys haven't had a chance to get together and really dive in to the playbook and become familiar with really each Really good point. I know, a few. I know Tom Brady a couple of weeks ago was, and I know a few of the other guys, Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen finally got together. I saw a couple days ago, but I don't know if Hopkins has really worked out with Allen too much and, or not Allen has really worked out with Kyler Murray too much. So that's another thing I've kind of thrown in there too. So it, it just might not click this year. Yeah. He might still get like a thousand yards, but maybe he gets more like seven touchdowns or something like that. So he might end up finishing more as a low end wide receiver one this year, which is still great, but I'm not taking him in the first round. Like a lot of people are. I just, it's too much concern for me over that. I am going to use this podcast and I'm going to give it to everybody. I know that has DeAndre Hopkins to try to buy him. <laughs> Long term. I'll still invest because I love Kyler Murray. They're going to fix that offensive line at some point. I'm just, I'm concerned about 2020 with him. That's fair. All right, so give us your rookie wide receiver that probably fell into the best situation. Give us your rookie wide receiver that probably fell into the worst situation. Um, You know, I like the C.D. Lamb situation, just not this year. I like the Jerry Judy situation, just not really this year yet. Jerry Judy concerns me more long-term than what C.D. Lamb does. And those were kind of like the wide receiver 1, 1A, 1 and 2 type situations this year. You know, Amari Cooper... After 2021, even though his contract goes further than that, he has no more guaranteed money. So one of the things I brought up when C.D. Lamb was drafted was, do they look at trading Amari Cooper? Everyone's like, no, they can't. That contract is way too bad. But if teams know that they can get Amari Cooper for basically a one-year deal next year because they can cut ties and move away without owing him any more money, that could end up happening. And then all of a sudden you've got C.D. Lamb there along with Michael Gallup and I'll take C.D. Lamb over Michael Gallup every single day. So all of a sudden, C.D. Lamb becomes that wide receiver one there. So even though 2020, I think in 2020, the Dallas Cowboys could have a wide receiver one all 16 weeks that they play. It just could be a different guy every single week. But in 2021, if C.D. Lamb becomes that wide receiver one, or even 20, like his long-term situation, I love with Prescott, that offensive line, Zeke Elliott being there, locked up. We know he's going to be there, so the run game is going to continue to be good. I'm excited about that. 
Well, before you move on to Jerry Judy and the Broncos, Murph and I were kind of talking about this a little bit. Who do you think takes a bump in the Dallas situation with Mike McCarthy being there now? I'm not sure who plays the slot wide receiver. Does Gallup stay outside? Does Gallup stay at the wide? I think Gallup stays outside exclusively. I would be surprised mm-hmm. if he moves into the slot. I think you're going to see Lamb and Cooper move into the slot. I don't have the stats with me. I've got them somewhere. But Cooper actually performs really, really well in the slot and might end up being a better fit there. Um, and if he plays in the slot, oh, dear God. Yeah, he's going to eat. Yes. Yeah, and Mike McCarthy's system. See, we didn't even think about that. Yeah, so I'm excited to, to see how that plays out in 2020. And that even kind of goes back to that, that trading thing. Like if you if Cooper just eats this year and has a fabulous year, all of a sudden now you can move a guy that teams look at and say, yeah, we might have to get you know, give up a little bit, but if it doesn't work out, we can move away this year for absolutely no money. He's coming off a huge year. So, yeah, I could see Cooper absolutely eating this year. I think between him and Lamb, they're going to be the guys that switch in and out of the slot the most. But if I had to guess, I would guess by the end of the season, Cooper has more snaps in the slot than what Lamb does. Yeah, Murph and I talked about that a little bit, and we thought it really came down to whoever plays the slot position in Mike McCarthy's offense, uh, which, you know, Mike McCarthy made Randall Cobb into a household name before Devontae Adams really came on to scene. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I think whoever plays that slot position, I agree with you, Kyle, I, I think is going to be huge in that Dallas offense. So it really yeah. comes down to whom it is, which is a little disappointing for me because I do have uh, Michael Gallup and some of my <laughs> So uh, Denver Broncos and Jerry Judy. What happens there with Jerry Judy and uh, Cortland Sutton? Also include uh, Hamler in that too, because I think in yep. the slot position, I think that's – if that's what he's projected to be, I think he's going to be huge there also. Yeah, that's that's the thing that concerns me about Judy is long-term, he's going to have several guys around him. Fant's going to be there. You've got KJ Amler that's going to be there. Cortland Sutton that's going to be there for at least a few more years. Philip Lindsay is obviously a guy that does really well out of the backfield catching the football. Melvin Gordon is there now, who has also done very well catching the football. And you've got Drew Locke, who... A lot of people like this year, including myself. I've always been a Drew Locke fan, but we still don't know. So, like, you've got C.D. Lamb, who's got Dak Prescott. He's proven himself. He's got weapons around him, but his long-term outlook is a little bit better for me than what Judy's is because Judy just has so many people around him. Now, Judy's talented enough to walk in there and take the wide receiver one job within a year or two. Do I think it happens? No, because I think this is going to be an offense that continuously spreads the ball around and utilizes Melvin Gordon over the next couple of years. And then also, too, playing in that high altitude as well. I mean, you got, got you know, they've got more than enough weapons there to pull guys off the field, keep them fresh, get them breathers. So, you know, you could see him take a little bit more breaks than what you would want your, you know, wide receiver one to take. So I think it's just a little unstable for me there. So you mentioned about Melvin Gordon, but let's not forget that Pat Sherman is the offensive coordinator there. We saw what he did as Giants fans with Saquon Barkley last year. Mm-hmm. Play calling was awful. So do you really think that Melvin Gordon actually has a decent shot there? Um, I think he starts slow. I think he starts really slow because he's moving. And I, talk, I talked about the altitude a little bit already, but he's moving from L.A. out on the ocean to being now up in the mountains. So he's going to have to get some training in. He's going to have to get used to that difference there. So I would not be surprised if the first several weeks of the season, you see more of a 50-50 split between him and Philip Lindsay as he gets used to everything, gets comfortable with the system, gets differentiated with the altitude there and everything. And then he gets a little bit better. But again, there are, there are so many people there to, for the ball to go to right now. I just don't foresee him getting the type of receptions that he used to get when he was with the Chargers. I just don't see it. So what you're telling me is we're buying high in Drew Locke right now, baby. On, on Drew Locke? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm buying high on that man, especially yeah. just because of all those weapons you just talked about. And he's got a cannon. I am in – in one of my dynasty leagues that I'm in, my buddy, him and I have been friends since high school, big Denver Broncos fan. And I drafted Drew Locke last year. So I had him sitting and waiting on the bench, ready to roll. It's a super flex league. And he came at me. He's like, I really, really want Locke. And I was like, all right, you're gonna have to pay up for him. You especially, because number one, you're my friend. Number two, you're a Broncos fan. So I know you're willing to do it. So I ended up getting a trade offer from him. That was Aaron Jones and Drew Locke from Matt Ryan and Alvin Kamara. And I hit accept so quickly. I about broke my phone. I was worried for a second, but I was, I was as pumped as could be. 
Kyle, this is your friend since high school. You know, I now have a different perspective on you. But oh no, he deserves <laughs> it. I mean, uh, uh-uh, no. Well, you know what? I'm glad that you said that because I have Drew Locke, and Mr. Murphy is trying to get him from me. So, Murph, did, did you hear what the package is going to cost? So keep that in mind later for trade talks. Yeah, just don't forget I have him on the team that beat you and knocked you out of semifinals last year too. Uh, here we go. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> boom. Chick, chick, boom. So, Justin Jefferson, what do you think now about him being in Minnesota without Stefan Diggs? Um, I, I do feel like I'm a little bit lower on him than others, and I can't really put my finger on it. I just – I don't know if I, tr- if, if I trust the offense to feed him. You know, Thielen could absolutely end up bouncing back and have a much better year this year. But does not having Stefan Diggs actually affect Thielen a little bit more? It could still be a very run-heavy team. I saw this in the notes, too, so we can go ahead and talk about it right now. Tight ends, Ersmith Jr. and Kyle Rudolph being there, I definitely expect a lot more two tight end sets from that team this year. Um, I expect them to pass and run out of those formations. Um, So if they run the ball basically as much as they did last year, maybe Cook gets a little bit less of the volume and they shift some of it to Madison just to keep Cook a little bit more healthy. Um, They run a lot more two tight end sets. Thielen's your wide receiver one. Irv Smith Jr., I mean, I like him. I like him a lot more than Kyle Rudolph from a pure like talent perspective. I don't think either of them can be a tight end one, though, because I think even though if Smith gets more volume than Rudolph, Rudolph gets more touchdowns. And that's another thing, too, with you know with Jefferson is they're going to run the ball a lot in the red zone they're going to look at Rudolph a lot in the red zone Smith is probably going to see targets in the red zone I mean that's just a team that literally is just going to go all over the place so Jefferson might have some good weeks but I just don't think he's going to have a great season and I don't know if he has the ability to be a true wide receiver one and you know what happens if they decide to move on from Kirk Cousins at any point too, like what is their, you know, what's going to happen there with their, you know, quarterback that takes over. So I just, I don't like his situation as much as I like others right now. So is this another wide receiving core that you're avoiding as well? Yeah, I don't see myself and redraft drafting any of them. And Jefferson, the guy is a guy that I've been let, you know, I've been glad he's going where he's going because if he goes before Rager, then I've got a better shot at Rager, who I'd rather have. So I'm okay with him going where he's going in drafts. Nobody else you're buying on there? No Bissy Johnson, no wide receiver three. No, because if they if they run a lot of more a lot more two tight end sets, like I think yeah. they will, it's gonna I, it's basically gonna make that spot invaluable. So I just I don't see it happening. Yeah, me and Mays were saying we were kind of shocked that they resigned uh, or extended Kyle Rudolph. Yeah, that's what kind of set in stone for me when that happened. I was like, okay, they they have to have a plan here for this if that's what they're doing. Yeah. What about uh our lovely rivals, me and Mage, uh, the Jets, man. You know, they, they finally got Darnold a little bit of weapons. And, um, you know, he's got his dump off in Crowder. That I, I personally expect Crowder to have a pretty solid year. But what are we thinking about Perriman and uh, Denzel Mims up there? The only player from the Jets I'm buying is Crowder in PPR and half PPR leagues. That is it. Because he's going to get peppered with targets. If you say, Kyle, you have to choose Mims or Perryman, I'll go with Perryman. Because I'll go with the veteran over the rookie and a guy that performed pretty well last year for Tampa when he had to step in. Whoever Adam Gase goes near, I just want to run the other way from as quickly as I possibly can and just and hide from it. I don't like anyone on that team. When I did my projections, and a lot of people hated me for this, I came out to one win for the Jets. I don't mind their defense as much. <laughs> You're talking to the right people. But I don't you just like gained a offense. lot of brownie points in my book, man. Yeah, I, I would like the offense a lot better if there was somebody capable there of actually getting the best out of the offense. But when you look at what Adam Gase had while he was in Miami and what they're doing now, it's hard not to it, not to see how he stifles talent. I'm going to stick with the Jets real quick. I'll come back to a, another running back question. <laughs> Who do you like in the Jets backfield? I, I think that P. Ryan really has a chance because if Le'Veon Bell ends up getting traded, P. Ryan kind of has a size to step in and kind of be that three down back there. What do you think? Yeah, that, that can end up happening. I just can't see. I know the Jets want to move on from Bell at this point, but I just I don't think that they can make that happen. Um, I think they're going to have to deal with it throughout the contract. And when you give a guy like that a contract, you got to play him, um, especially with the type of distraction he's been in the past. Not really a distraction, but, you know, the distraction. Oh, actually, Le'Veon Bell was – I was – 
surprised, but he actually ended up being one of the leaders on that team last year when it they their record stated otherwise, but he was trying to, you know, rally all the rookies and tell them, come on, just keep your head down, you know, keep chucking. I was actually really surprised by the leadership that Le'Veon Bell displayed last year. Yeah. Yeah. The concern at that point for me is you know, is he still going to be that team leader if he's not getting touches? Like, if they start pulling him off the field more because they want to get other people touches, is he going to get right. sour at that point and get upset? So, yeah, P. Ryan is a guy that I've been keeping a little bit of an eye on. He hasn't – I don't have any shares of him yet because he hasn't really fallen into a point where I've wanted to grab him. And I've been using a lot of later-round picks to move up and get some other guys that I like, so he hasn't really been there for me. But, I mean, you've got the infamous Kenneth Dixon there now, too, who – there, there is a, a big following for him still out there. They're underground right now because he never turned out to be anything. But, um, you know, you know, maybe he's the guy that, that finally stays healthy and figures it out. Trenton Cannon is a guy that is a pretty good receiving weapon, even though he's never had that, uh, that opportunity to really be one. And then, of course, the, you know, the, the great Frank Gore, who just ruins backfields for everybody these days. You know, he gets to spend 2020 there. <laughs> Yeah, Frank Gore, the ageless wonder, the gift that keeps on giving to uh, running back backfields. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's transition over to tight ends. We'll kind of keep this short. My favorite. Just uh, kind of give us your thoughts on some of these situations. Let's kind of make it a little bit of a rapid fire. How about that? Yep, we can do that. All right, so thoughts on Cincinnati's tight end situation. Which tight end is the one to own, long-term, short-term? Who are you buying? Uh, none of them, to be honest with you. And I would I would like to talk about CJ Uzuma more because I call him CJ Who's Your Mama is how, <laughs> is how I refer to him. So I would like to say that more often. But when you've got all the wide receiving weapons that you do now with John Ross and AJ Green, uh, you know, and adding T Higgins, which caught me completely off guard and Tyler Boyd, and you've got Joe Mixon, you know, I just I don't see a whole lot of tight ends being on the field very often. So I, I'm not personally buying anybody there. Is Dawson Knox a tight end one? I don't think he becomes a tight end one, but he's definitely a sleeper candidate to make it work. If they had not brought in Diggs, I think he could have made it there. But I think he's a very underrated guy. He's a guy I like in DFS lineups throughout the year because I think he could have some big games. But I don't think he's going to be a consistent contributor. Uh, Steelers, Ebron versus um Vance McDonald Ebron's got some upside you know you saw it you know if he can score the touchdowns that great but he doesn't have the vol he doesn't really get the volume though so touchdown upside yes but I think people forget about Vance McDonald in 2018 he had the third most yards after the catch per reception of any wide receiver or tight end in the NFL the only two people ahead of him were Kittle and Ingram so he was a guy a couple of years ago that did really well. It was 7.9 yards after the catch per reception. So, I mean, he can make plays, but then when you lost Roethlisberger last year, he didn't really have that connection with anybody else, and he just didn't end up panning out. So that one's a tough situation for me. I'm going to bite back on this one, though, Kyle, because as far back as I can remember, I'm going to say Heath Miller because I don't really remember anybody before that. Pittsburgh's never really sustained a fantasy tight end worthy or a, a weekly starter, I mean, you would kind of look out to see, oh, man, my tight end's on a bye. Let me, uh, Heath Miller's out there. All right, good old Heath Miller. Let me get him. He's good for four points. You know, so it's like because of Ebron's ability, does he get bumped up in that situation? I, I mean, it's just something that the history scares me here. So if, if I have to own one of them, I'm going to own Ebron. And that's because of the touchdown upside. So if he's going against a team that gets shredded by tight ends, then he could potentially be the guy that, you know, scores you a touchdown and saves a week for you or, you know, helps you win a week. So that's probably I go why I would go with him. But I don't like either of them. Again, like you said, neither of them are going to be a guy that you can consistently start. You know, Ebron's the only one that you look at the situation, you say he could score some touchdowns. And that's, you know, that's really hit the only upside there. All right, let's move on to Cleveland. And then I do have two other tight ends I want to get your opinion on. So Cleveland recently added Austin Hooper, who I was all over last year. I picked him up in every possible league I could. And he definitely paid dividends. But how are you feeling about Austin Hooper in Cleveland with David Njoku and they also have Harrison Bryant. He is outside my top 12 tight ends for 2020. 
and I cannot invest in him because of all the weapons around him. A new guy and a new system. Again, a lot of these players are not getting a chance to work out yet, and we don't know when training camp is going to happen, when OTA. Like, we don't know when a lot of this stuff is going to happen. So if they cancel things or they get condensed, you know, Mayfield already has that, you know, connection with Jarvis Landry, who, you know, should be ready to go at some point in time. He's got the connection with Odell Beckham Jr. already. You've got Kareem Hunt there still. It's just... It, the problem is, is that there are so many weapons around him. And I don't think you bench David Njoku either. So I still think Njoku is going to see some snaps. I don't expect them to run a ton, a ton of two tight end uh, type situations though. So I don't, I don't think they're going to be on the field a whole lot together, which means one of them is going to end up losing out on, on snaps. So I, I have to be off of him this year, as good as he did last year. I did, a, I did some work, too, on this because I was looking at Hayden Hurst. I did a video on Hayden Hurst a couple of weeks ago. Well, that was going to be my next question. Yeah, so Hayden Hurst is another guy that I'm kind of in between on with some things. I'm glad you brought this up because what about Graham? Because Graham came on a little strong last year. Yeah, this, this situation is even – and he's kind of like the hot name right now. He's the guy that a lot of people are trying to grab as quickly as they possibly can. Um, before the breakout happens but Hooper was used so well last year by the Atlanta Falcons and that's one of the reasons why I don't think he's going to be as good this year as he was last year because of that situation I'm trying to find that stat here real quick there was a stat that I had for Austin Hooper in terms of what he was doing it was so 75 percent of Hooper's routes last year were run underneath the defense. And that was according to Pro Football Focus. So they really took advantage of the middle of the field in that zero to 10 yard radius because Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones were pulling everybody down the field away from that situation. He had 53 targets, 47 receptions, 360 yards, and four touchdowns, zero to 10 yards from the line of scrimmage. So they really utilized that. That was their run game alternative last year because they were so bad in the run game last year that they had to have those quick passes, those high percentage passes. They had to be able to get the ball out quickly and essentially use the passing game as, as a pseudo run game. So number one for Hooper, that's, that's what concerns me is he's not going to be used the same way he was used last year. So he's not going to be set up for that success. But as far as Hurst goes, that also worries me because you have Todd Gurley there now who is much better than what Devonta Freeman is. And if the run game is a lot better than it was last year, then at that point now you jump back and you say, well, Hurst isn't going to be utilized in that, that short passing game that they that use in place of the running game. So that's why I have concerns. No, that, that makes a lot of sense when you break it down that way, especially from zero to 10. One other tight end I also want to ask you about that's a little bit of an enigma that has an injury profile is Evan Ingram where are you taking him gentlemen I love Evan Ingram could you mention before about the yards after catch he's one of the best at doing it oh my gosh Evan Ingram is going to be the one guy I don't care how much he gets hurt I'm never quitting <laughs> ever 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 I've got him as my tight end four right now for 2020 you're the third person in three days to tell me that <laughs> I love and, and I, it's valid. It's it's absolutely valid, and it's just different with us Giants fans. I, I get it. I get it from the outside for sure. I'm buying him everywhere I can in Dynasty because I will take the risk all day long on deeper rosters where I can have somebody else. So the guy when he's on the field, he's a playmaker. I mean, you saw that Tampa Bay game last year when Daniel Jones got his first start and Ingram absolutely shredded everybody. Dude, that touchdown from that, that what was it like 60 yards the yeah. one where he just turned the jets on yeah it was a cross around that's that's the evan ingram that the new york giants need and and every fantasy owner obviously wants yes so i'm going to continue to rank him high because when i do a lot of my rankings i rank people at their ceilings and even if there are injury concerns i hate i hate holding injury concerns against players too much because when I draft somebody, yeah, it's going to be in the back of my mind, but I always draft for ceiling. Like, where could a guy end up finishing for me? And, yeah, it's going to burn you sometimes. 
But in the same instance too, like you don't want to miss that breakout. You don't want to miss, if that guy is capable of doing something, you don't want to miss it just because you were worried about an injury too much. So I love Evan Ingram. I like the Giants offense as a whole this year. If Daniel Jones can take another step forward and continue to grow, that's my one concern with him is just, you know, can he grow? Can he get better every single week? If he can, I like Golden Tate this year. I think he is an absolute steal later in drafts. You know, Sterling Shepard, I'm not nearly as high on. Darius Slayton is a guy that last year in the middle of the summer, I was like, whoa, get yourself some Darius Slayton people because he is going to have a terrain. And then Saquon Barkley is my 1.01. People are think people are giving me a bunch of grief for not having uh, not having McCaffrey, but give me Barkley. They've already said they're going to run the crap out of the football this year. I want Barkley's going to have uh, an insane amount of touches this year if he's healthy. So give me Barkley all day long. I, I like the ceiling for the Giants offense this year. We love to hear that. <laughs> yeah, with Christian McCaffrey, you don't know how it's going to acclimate with that Joe Brady offense. Mm-hmm. And it's going to rely heavily on the passing game. You know that Saquon's going to get the touches on the ground. Plus, he's also going to be utilized in the passing game as well. But we are kind of aligned here because this was something I mentioned on the podcast with Tino Rodriguez that we did was Sterling Shepard is the one giant that I'm fading in that passing offense right now because I think Darius Slayton is going to be that X. I think Golden Tate's going to be that Y. And Sterling Shepard's going to end up playing the slot. But the problem is, though, is that I think they're going to be in a lot of 12 personnel, which I think is going to take Shepard off the field quite a bit as well. So I think they're going to go with a lot of two tight end sets. I have to find my Golden Tate information. <laughs> I know it's right here. Yeah, go ahead. So I'm going to ask you one more question uh, related to the Giants. Actually, I'm going to ask you two more. One, where do you have Daniel Jones ranked? Give us redraft and dynasty because I love him in dynasty. He adds that element with the run game. So now we know that he has to cut back on the fumbles. Fumbles are a negative stat in fantasy football. Also, Murph didn't ask it, but I'm going to ask it for him. What do you think about Caden Smith, and does he have a role in this offense going forward? So Tate, Jones, Smith. So for Tate, from week five on, because I think a lot of people forget he was suspended for the first four weeks of the season last year. A lot of non-Giants fans or just your casual fantasy players, things like that. They just look, too many people just look at the overall numbers and they forget things that have happened throughout the season. Him being suspended, you know, is one of those things that are kind of out of the back of people's minds now. When he came back from week five on, he was the wide receiver 28. So we know right there, first year with Daniel Jones, getting used to that off, you know, all those things around him. And he comes in, he's the wide receiver 28. So he can only go up from there. But 86 or 85.6% of his snaps came out of the slot next year. I love adding guys that play in the slot and get a ton of looks. That's why I like Crowder so much. You know, Golden Tate is a guy, even when in Detroit, I wanted him as much as possible because as much as he worked out of the slot. But the other thing too is he's not just your typical guy that's going to get a bunch of targets and just be done. He made some big plays last year. His four touchdowns of 20 plus yards was tied for third most last year. So he's a guy that is going to get you a lot of those looks, get you a lot of that volume, but he's going to make some big plays for you as well. And you've got, if you've got Evan Ingram streaking down the field, you've got Darius Slayton streaking down the field, you've got somebody watching Saquon Barkley in the backfield. Now all of a sudden you've got defense scattered all over. And if Golden Tate can get himself a catch somewhere in the middle of the field, he's going to have a ton of room to run because your safeties are going to be going, your cornerbacks are going to be going, somebody's going to be keeping an eye on Barkley, so he's already going to be past them. So there's just so so with Daniel Jones, I've got him kind of as a mid quarterback too right now because I think. I don't hate the guy. I don't hate him nearly as much as some people do, but I still think you could see some of those inconsistencies pop up where, you know, he has a bad week where maybe he doesn't get off to a hot start and things just kind of topple over at that point. The thing that can keep him propped up though is where will the defense end up being this year? Is the defense going to give up enough points that the offense is going to have to keep going, 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 which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing for Daniel Jones to get better either. Cause we need, you know, if they run the ball too much and they tell Daniel Jones, well, you're just going to be, you know, kind of a conductor at this point, that's not good for his progress either. So I, you know, I really want to see a, you know, a, a real even split there between that. So he can, he can grow, he can make those mistakes, he can learn from them, but he can have that success. So for 2020, I've got him kind of as a mid quarterback too. And, 
probably about the same in Dynasty right now, just because I think he doesn't have some of the, the profile, some of the younger quarterbacks that came in this year, that potentially coming in next year as well, some of the younger guys in the league right now. So again, for me, it's, it's seeing that growth for him this year that would really get me a little bit more on board than what I already am. Um, and then with Caden Smith, I'm keeping an eye on him in Dynasty rosters, especially if I own Ingram, I'm going to add him as well. Outside of just having him as some potential depth, I don't think he's going to be a guy kind of like last year where he stepped in at the end of last year. I think he had a couple of good games for the end of last year. I'm trying to remember because I had him down as a waiver wire pick a couple of different times. Yeah, the Washington game particularly, he uh, scored yeah. two touchdowns. So, you know, I'm owning him if I own Ingram, so I have an easy replacement if there's an injury. But I don't, you know, if if Ingram goes down, they have so many weapons there now that I think that they end up kind of dispersing to those people and Smith is kind of left is is that last resort type of person well after your comments about Daniel Jones I think we're gonna have to end this interview now uh because (laughs) this is a place where we respect the king yes we started off so well I know it did it really did so do you see him finishing in top 15 for Daniel Jones yes Mm -hmm. it's gonna be close it's going to be close, I think. And and again, too, I, th- I think it really depends on what they want Daniel Jones to be this year. If they want him to be that conductor and they run the ball a lot and they say, make plays for us, but don't go win games for us, that stifles them. If the defense is a lot better than what might be anticipated, that's going to end up stifling them a little bit as well, too. So that's why I've got him kind of in that mid-range right now. But, I mean, he's going to be right around that probably 15, 16, 17 area for me by the time rankings are done, unless something changes before then. Yeah, because as Giants fans, we really saw the potential in him uh, last year, especially in those multi-touchdown games. Mm -hmm. But then we also saw him versus New England and even the Green Bay game. He didn't play so well. Again, whether – permitting as well but that was one of his knocks in college especially when he played Miami in that typhoon with uh, all the rain so he does have to get better but statistically he was actually pretty efficient Mm -hmm. on the field but enough with the Giants let's move on one other tight end I am curious to ask you about and then I have another running back question (laughs) so just give me a quick opinion on it Jay Sternberger the potential's there I mean in Dynasty I'm grabbing him if I can get him cheap to stash him in case something does happen, but I'm setting my expectations very low. Joshua Kelly. Yeah, another guy that I'm grabbing and I'm stashing, but my expectations are staying kind of low right now until I see how some more things shake out. Just talk about the rookies real quick, and then then we could just give us uh, some of your buy, buy low candidates. So just give us, I guess, a quick ranking if you want to provide a little bit of input on them. Rookie quarterbacks, how are you ranking the top rookie quarterbacks? And if you want to provide a little bit of analysis, go right ahead. So for rookie quarterbacks, I mean, Burrow and Tua are at the top for me. So it's definitely those two. And it's kind of a mix after that because – Are you taking Burrow ahead of Tua? I do. Okay. I do. And it's, and it's just – if it wasn't because of the hip, and I really don't have a whole lot of concerns about the hip, it's still there in the back of your mind. And with the way Burrow played last year, it's just hard not to just recognize just how great of a season he had at LSU. You know, so I do have Tua at two right now. And it, again, it's just because of the hip, wanting to make sure he's healthy. When does he actually play in 2020 as well? It's a good question. You know, if they want to be safe with him, he might sit all year and they might let Fitzpatrick just run with it. So that's another reason, too. If that's the case, then we have to wait till 2021 to really see him get out there and get moving. So that's why I've got him, you know, right there. And then it's kind of a hodgepodge after that for me because, you know, Justin Herbert, I I don't mind Justin Herbert. I'm not nearly as excited about him as some people are. I I mean, I like Jalen Hurts, but I don't think Jalen Hurts is an eagle for very many years. I think this is a situation like what the Patriots have always done where they've drafted these guys, they get a little bit of work, and then all of a sudden they get traded away to a team that needs them so I don't think Hertz is going to be in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is the only team in the NFL with a quarterback by committee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. A quarterback by committee. So, you know, that's a, so I don't know, you know, if I knew for certain that he landed in a spot where he's going to be the starter in two or three years and he's number three for me, probably over Herbert. Herbert is at number three for me though. And then I've got, I've got Eason at four just over love right now, just because I think he starts sooner rather than later. And that, and again, with love, when's it going to be? You know, is that another situation where maybe if Rodgers 
steps his game up. He hasn't been great. You know, last year wasn't great. It was really three big games that that was his production last year. But if he bounces back this year and he's back to the Aaron Rodgers of old, does Love really end up staying? That? So it's it's murky. The quarterback situation is murky. And we've got some really good quarterbacks coming out of the draft next year that could, you know, make some of these guys even less valuable. What about rookie running back? So for rookie running backs – Again, I love my running backs. So yeah. some of the some of the the landing spots I didn't didn't end up loving, but they're really good landing spots when you look at the long term. So for me, like Jonathan Taylor, long term, still my running back one. Still going to keep him there. Great offensive line. Marlon Mack will be gone next year, so he'll be the for sure running back one. And Naheem Hines isn't that big of a threat. He'll get some work, but not a ton. Let me ask you a question about Jonathan Taylor real quick, just because the history with Wisconsin running backs, and and I got eaten alive for this just because you can't go based on history, and I get that, right? It, the school doesn't necessarily equate to the talent of the football player coming out, but the program that it runs does. Mm-hmm. So uh, Wisconsin constantly produces offensive tackles, and, you know, the running backs for a large part are a byproduct of that there's only been two running backs that ever come out of Wisconsin that's been drafted that have ever had Pro Bowls. So that was Bennett from the Minnesota Vikings and Melvin Gordon. They've, they've totaled for three Pro Bowls, Melvin Gordon with two, Michael Bennett with one. So you really believe in Jonathan Taylor as a player? I do. I do. I think he's a really special running back. You know, the volume is a little bit of a concern. You know, how long will he hold up for? Because he touched the ball so many times in college. But there's people who have done studies that say it doesn't equate. There's nothing about the college, you know, volume that would tell me to get away from a running back either. So I do think Jonathan Taylor is a special case, though. I do think he's going to end up being a very good running back. And he's going to be behind an offensive line that just pushes people around and opens up holes. So, you know, even if he's not nearly as good as we anticipated, I think his landing situation was so good that it could end up offsetting some of that. Good point. Um, you know, people are really excited about Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Uh, and I get it and I understand it. I don't think Damien Williams is going to disappear, though, in 2020. I don't think he's going to Thank you man. I'm I'm glad someone said that. I don't think and Also even when he disappears, I still see Andy Reid wanting another running back. It could end up happening. I mean, uh, not to push CEH out, but mm-hmm. like that's just kind of always how besides with Westbrook, that's kind of how Andy Reid's always been. Yeah. He's kind of always had a little bit of a two-back punch. And CEH isn't a workhorse back, in my opinion, either. He's not going to be a guy that's, you know, going to be. So at some point in time, when Damian Williams does move on, who are they going to bring in to kind of be that second guy? You know, is it going to be a guy that is going to be more of your bruiser that's going to handle some of those, you know, early down, some of that early down work? Is, you know, CEH always going to be that pass catching? Is CEH going to become a guy that is more like James White? And people right. probably hurt me if I was in the same room and said that but when Patrick Mahomes carved your offense up in the first half he's not going to be the guy that wears the defense down in the second half that's all I've really been trying to get at with with that argument with people um you know I feel like they're gonna have to have some sort of bruiser Mm -hmm. I still feel like they miss Kareem Hunt yeah and Damian Williams too I mean he's not going to be a guy for fantasy purposes that's going to be startable but he's going to get just enough work and be on the field just enough that it's, it's not going to allow CEH to find his full potential right away. So I've got him, you know, so I've still got him, you know, as kind of that going back and forth between the RB2 kind of RB3 area. Long term, though, I mean, give me J.K. Dobbins as much as I can possibly get. Best situation that he could have possibly landed on in the long term. We know that offense is going to run, 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 run. And dear Lord, give me the running back that gets to run that RPO right next to <laughs> right next to Lamar Jackson. You know, it, when you can do all of this stuff in the backfield um, where you're doing these different looks with the RPOs and it's just I just I, I love that situation. Mark Ingram's going to be gone after this year, which is absolutely great. Fabulous for J.K. Dobbins. You know, Gus Edwards isn't going to be there for very much longer. I mean, he's not going to be a guy that's going to get a contract extension or anything like that. So Dobbins is going to be the guy in 2021. So even though he won't reach his full potential in 2020 either, he's the guy long-term 
like I've got Taylor and Dobbins is kind of like my one A and one B type of situation. So Dobbins is the guy that I took most in rookie drafts as well, because I really like his situation that he ended up there for all the reasons that you just mentioned. Yeah. And I like Cam Akers, but I hate the offensive line and the, the Rams are just a mess right now. I mean, the offensive line is bad and they have so much money on the books for players that aren't there and they just haven't had any draft picks. So that worries me. You know, Moss, I don't really see as a long-term option. Vaughn, I really don't see as a real long-term option. McFarland is a guy I'll take over both of those guys with ease. So, like, he's a guy that's, like, right in that running back five dynasty value for me in terms of these rookie, rookie running backs. Quick thoughts on Eno Benjamin. I don't mind him. We were at the Combine, and I was actually at his interview, and I got a chance to to hear a little bit more from him. And I was super impressed. I really liked him. This is a kid – that the thing that I took away from it the most, he is a learner. He loves to be in the classroom. I mean, he was talking about how he took 18 credit hours and he graduated early and he just loved being in the film. He loved being in the classroom. He loved learning. Those are type of things you don't hear a lot of these guys say in these type of situations. And that was like the one thing somebody said, you know, what sets you apart from the other guys? And he said, well, nothing against him. He said, but that's what I love. Like, I love to learn. And I was like, whoa, look at this guy. I like that answer. So, I mean, and he's really kind of one Kenyon Drake injury away from being, and I was actually talking with Jake about this last night because we were talking about some handcuffs to own. And I brought up, you know, Benjamin, and they were like, well, what, a, you know, what about Chase Edmonds? And I was like, well, here's the thing. I said, if Kenyon Drake goes down, Chase Edmonds is going to be your, like, your one and two down back, but Eno Benjamin's going to be your pass catching back. And in that offense, that's the guy that you're going to end up wanting because there's just not, there's not going to be enough lanes where if you're not getting the volume, like Drake will have on his own, you're not going to have fantasy value. So Eno Benjamin is the pass catching back at that point. So that's why I would rather own him. I got one more for you. How are we feeling about Brandon AU? I feel like a lot of people are sleeping on him and Shanahan's offense usually spreads the wealth. Uh, so how are we feeling about AU? Long term, he's a guy I'm definitely interested in owning, but I think it's going to take some time. He's a guy that is going to make some big plays. He he has the ability to do that. He's a guy that they can do some of the same things they did with Debo last year, where all of a sudden he's coming out of the backfield or doing an end around or whatever it may end up being. So I think he has his moments, but I think it could be a year before we really see him develop into a guy that we can consistently play. So I'm kind of in the middle on him. I don't absolutely love him and I don't hate him for any reason either. I'm kind of right in the mid tier where, I mean, he's a guy that could end up being like a serviceable, you know, wide receiver three at some point. I don't think he's a wide receiver one. I don't, they run the ball too much for him to really be a wide receiver too, with Kittle being there as well. So, and Jalen Hurd too is another guy that I really liked last year that missed the entire season and he's going to be back as well. Um, and he's another guy too. He's exactly like these guys, you know, he can come out of the backfield. He can play out of the tight end spot if he wanted to. So yeah, it's just, they've got a lot of playmakers there and they can do a lot of different things. So yeah. I just worry about consistency with some of them. And that's why I haven't been trying to add Debo anywhere is because, you know, it's just one of those consistency, consistency things for me. So you want to trade Ezekiel Elliott for Brendan? Ayuk? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I fucked up so bad in our Giants Dynasty League. I, I was I was at the beach drinking and we were doing our draft and uh you know, you were you were mentioning earlier you cut back on leagues and I guess I got my rosters mixed up and I already had Debo on the roster and took Ayuk in the first oh, round. No. So there we go, baby. So now uh, I'm hope one of them's gonna hit the jackpot. I'll be able to trade him eventually. Kyle, so let's finish ranking the wide receiver. So you already talked about Judy and Lamb. Who do you have behind those guys finishing in your top five, top six? You know, so Judy and Lamb for me are, you know, the wide receiver 1A, 1B. Rager is right there at number two for me. And then, you know, after that, again, it kind of becomes a hodgepodge of who ends up getting the best, you know, the best situation moving forward. You know, Justin Jefferson, I don't love the long-term situation. Good wide receiver, but I just I don't love him in a run heavy offense that Kirk Cousins, you know, long term may not end up being the quarterback. They don't really have a guy to step in for him. Henry Ruggs, I've been a lot lower on him than a lot of other people. I think he is kind of ends up being like a Deshaun Jackson light, like a diet version of Deshaun Jackson, where he doesn't end up, you know, really becoming 
that big playmaker, but he has those huge plays. And, you know, maybe that one play is what makes a week, kind of like Nicole Hardman this last year. You know, he gets that one 70, 80-yard touchdown. That makes a week for you sometimes, but he's not going to do it every week, and it could be four or five weeks before it happens again. I like Brian Edwards more than I like Henry Ruggs in L.A. So, or not L.A., in Las Vegas. Um, so, you know, that's that's another one I'm concerned about. T Higgins, I'm keeping an eye on him because I liked him pre-draft. I don't love the landing spot for 2020, but if A.J. Green ends up being gone, if John Ross ends up being gone, and then it's him and Tyler Boyd next year as the two wide receivers, then at that point I get a little bit more excited about him. So I've kind of got him right there. Ayuk, as we've talked about, he's kind of in, you know, in that five and six range for me right now. So there's there's some guys I like, but again, with some of these with some of these players, wide receivers and running backs, after you get past those top guys, they have decent situations, but we have to wait and see how it plays out because that could make all the difference a year from now. Take us into the final stretch then. So now give us the paid content, all right? Who are your favorite buy low candidates? Who are your favorite sell high candidates? And who are you letting fall in drafts? So buy low candidates we kind of talked about the running backs already and how I like to try and grab running backs, you know, kind of when they might be at the end of the road. Todd Gurley is a guy I'm getting all over the place this year because I think he's going to have a really, really good season. He's on a one year deal. So they're going to run and run and run him. But again, you can probably get him for a pretty decent price right now. And if your season doesn't end up turning out to be as you'd hope, you move him for a little bit more after you get into the season and the dude is playing a lot better. I had the conversation last night. It seems like he's been in the league forever and he's only going to be 26 this season. Right, right. He's still fairly young for a running back. I did take Gurley in one of my leagues because I I love to hoard running backs. So I got him as my RB3 on my team, but I also have the entire Atlanta backfield just in case. So I have Edo Smith, Brian Hill, Quadri Allison. So I got them all just in case, but – I do agree with you, though, because even going back to last year, I was still high on Todd Gurley. I get the knees is an issue, but, man, this is a guy that's that's now, what, two years removed from an MVP season? I mean, talent doesn't just suddenly disappear. No, no, it does not. And, you know, if they can get him back, I actually just wrote my Gurley portion last night, too, for our draft guide. If they can get him back and give him similar type carries on the ground but get him back towards those 60 or so receptions that he's had even if it's 50 I mean he finished as the running back 14 and half PPR last year if they can get him that volume back in the passing game even a little bit with the way that field is going to be stretched there I mean this is a guy that is going to have a ton of yards after the catch and he can easily bounce right back up into that low end running back one area. And then you can get him in like the third round right now. If you can, if you are going to tell me in the third round of drafts, I can get myself a running back one. Whew, I tell you what, there's a whole lot of six, six to midnight going on. Over here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. Cause just a few years ago, I mean, you were talking about Ty Gurley being the first overall pick in drafts. And now, I mean, we're talking about him in the third round. It's uh funny what a couple uh seasons make so you talked about deandre hopkins who all nominate as one year so high candidates i suppose yeah in dynasty i don't know if i want to sell them right now unless the value for it is just out of this world because again i you know moving forward I, i'm not worried about him it's just really 2020 that's concerning me so if somebody comes to me with an offer i'm like yeah i can't pass that up i'm not afraid to move a player but i also don't want someone to come to me and be like hey I know you're worried about Hopkins this year. You know, here's a bag of Fritos and a six pack. What do we think <laughs> about this? That I don't want to do, <laughs> you know, but if I'm talking kind of, you know, a sell high candidate, even though I've acquired Kamara and I talked about it already tonight, he's the guy that I'm not afraid to trade either um, because he's got a contract situation that's coming up. Is he going to end up staying in new Orleans? If they move on from breeze, who's it going to end up being? Not if they move on from Breeze, but if Breeze moves on at the end of the year, who's it going to end up being? So is it going to be the same type of offense? So for me there too, there's some concerns long-term for me. So I think people are still super high on him this year, which is great, great talent. But if he's in a different system, is he going to be the same Kamara that we've come to know and love over the last few years? So again, if I get a if I if I get a great deal for him, I'm not afraid to move him either. All right, so I'm going to give you the last word. Anything that you want to talk about? 
any fantasy aspect that you want to push, just give us your last word. Last word, late round quarterback this year. Do it. Do it, people. Wait on your quarterbacks. Don't be spending first, second, third round picks on Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes. We're going to get some awesome value at quarterback later in drafts this year, especially in one QB leagues and even in super flex leagues. I'm willing to wait because it's going to be really, really, really important with what we're looking at right now. Again, are we going to have OTAs? Are we going to have shortened training camps? Are we going to have weird workout schedules this year? I think it's really important to reinforce rosters this year and make sure in the early portions of your draft, you're getting a running back two, you're getting a running back three, you're getting a wide receiver two, you're getting a wide receiver three, because you're going to, if there are injuries or ineffectiveness because of everything going on, you need to have a solid foundation. And there's some guys going later in drafts at quarterback and tight end that are going to offer great value. So that's my like one thing that I've been preaching over and over this off season. I agree with that. Get Dak Prescott. <laughs> yeah. He's not going to be that value anymore this year. Yeah, he no. has been in years past. I think we've finally set sail on that. In dynasties, um, I'm still drafting uh, guys like Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers late because mm-hmm. I mean, quarterbacks just don't go away like they used to anymore. So those guys still have a few years left. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us today. Please tell everybody again where they can find you about the website, your YouTube channel as well. Yeah, you know, all my work is at the Fantasy Headliner, so you can go to YouTube and subscribe there. Really appreciate that. On Twitter, if you want to follow me, at krich1532, but that's where you're going to find me the most of the time. Kyle, thank you so much for coming on. I really do appreciate it. I appreciate, you know, our friendship over the last uh, three years as well. So thank you for always being somebody that's accessible in the fantasy community, and thank you for what you do. For sure, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, brother. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today's episode. Thank you very much, everybody. Peace and love.